0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Well-Read Catholic. I'm your host Patrick Hallihan, and today I'm speaking with Beau Bonner. Beau is Executive Vice President of the Newman Idea and Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College in Iowa. You may also be familiar with Beau as the co-host of a weekly broadcast on Iowa Catholic Radio called The Uncommon Good. Before I get to our conversation, I wanted to take a second to check in with you all as we continue to adjust The Well-Read Catholic to the reality that all of our recordings are now remote interviews. First, I'll apologize that last week's episode never made to press. We were experimenting with some new remote recording software to get high quality audio on both ends, and that software let us down severely when it came time to actually edit the podcast. For this episode and the next two, I'm afraid our guests are stuck with my best ability to edit phone audio, which is actually pretty good, and I'm, I'm very happy with it. But we're experimenting with some new remote recording software that looks to be much better, but we're also never gonna make the mistake of not having a backup again. Second. The move to remote recording has already been for the Walward Catholic in other ways a great blessing. It's given us the chance to speak with some guests that we would ordinarily not reach out to. If there are any suggestions you, the listener, have of guests you would like to see appear on the Walward Catholic, feel free to drop us a message on our Patreon page or DM us on Instagram. Okay, so without further ado, here's our conversation. Beau, welcome to the Walward Catholic. How are you doing today? Wonderful,
1: yeah, great to finally uh, get to come on here and talk with you.
0: We, we have a few things that we want to talk about today, but what I've normally asked all my guests, what are you reading these days, and if you have anything that you want to share with us?
1: Uh, yeah, so um, I've been getting the chance to teach uh, two classes, one on ethics and then one on early modern literature, and so I think that kind of reflects what I've been reading. So in ethics, you know, we've done Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, we've done Kant's uh, Preface to Metaphysics of Morals, and then uh, Mills on utilitarianism. But the book that we, I had the kids read to sort of undergird all of that is one of my favorite uh, little books, Joseph Pieper's Abuse of Language, Abuse of Power. So I love that book, and talking about that as a sort of way to frame what we're doing when we talk about ethics is a good one. And then um, in early modern, we've done all sorts of books, but the, the three main ones that I... One is Don Quixote. Uh, and then Dr. Faustus, uh, the Marlowe one, and then Paradise Lost. But I have to tell you with Don Quixote, people who are big John Senior fans, and I've known quite a few of them I've known, the first generation, their children. You know, when they when I started talking to them, they loved Don Quixote to death. And I was kind of familiar with Don Quixote, but I was always weirded out by this, but let me tell you, man, when you finally get to teach high schoolers and then young adults, Don Quixote, and you make them read the second book, they mm-hmm. love it. They love it. And I have I, to I admit, I've just, I, I was completely floored about the transformation uh, when you make them read both books. And I, I, I guess I started to get it. I started to get why you know people might be making statues to the old crazy man and Don Quixote.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I've taught Don Quixote, too, and I've had a similar experience. But normally, it's such an enormous book that you can only sort of pick selections out. Um, do you have them read the whole thing all the way
1: through? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that um, <laughs> when you're doing something for homeschoolers, which is like what we do over here, I help out with uh, the St. Thomas Classical Academy in Des Moines, um, you can get a reputation for being the crazy guy that like uh, tells them to read the entireties of, of, of works, and they let you get away with it. And so, yeah, I, I made all these, these teenagers read the entirety of the two books and I, and that's, I'm, I'm with you. Cause like, if, if you start divvying it up, which I have in the past, you know, with book two, I don't know, you, you're really tempted to just like skip towards the end and have like the part where Don Quixote sort of revokes his life. But I'm telling you, if you make them read it all the way through, they, they, a lot of them laugh at the jokes, but then start to hate it. Like the second part of book one. And then there's just this magical point in book two for everyone where they just became Don Quixote converts, it was beautiful to see happen.
0: Mm. So, what do you think happens there in the second book, which is the you know the reason why people should read it? I mean, lots of people read the beginning, right? Yes. Tilting at windmills and you know and you know innkeepers and all this sort of stuff. Right. So what what happens? What happens in the second book? That that's the meat, you know. Besides the you know jumping to the ending and and getting your own private islands and all these sorts of things.
1: Well, I think part of it is, you know, in some ways, Cervantes is so brilliant about breaking down the fourth wall. And and when, when a student starts to realize that, the, you know, a book that we would call great, and I mean, look, this is in the orbit of a certain, you know, type of student. You know, these are kids who've been homeschooled, mostly Catholics their whole life. So when they encounter a book that is so... Uh, has so much fun with the idea of authorship and perspective and all these things. But it's not a book that was written, like, in 1949 by a jaded, you know, ex-ball turret gunner, but, like, you know, a guy <laughs> who, you know, a, a guy... who no, there's in, the,
0: yeah, the wonderful part in the, um, the, the, the preface to Don Quixote where... You know, He's making fun of uh, authors in his own day who love to fill in all the classical allusions into their works. And he says, <laughs> you know, y- y- the easiest thing you can do is go to an appendix and you just pull things A through Z and just insert yeah. them willy nilly. And, you'll and then see, it'll seem like you're really
1: learned. And then he totally does it himself. <laughs> and then
0: he does it himself, yeah. Sorry, I interrupted your train of thought there. No,
1: that's so great. No, that's exactly right. And so this is what I'm getting at is I think what happens is, okay, so in book two, you you start out with the silliness again where Cervantes is trashing the guy who made a sequel. And he won't. he, he doesn't stop the whole time. He's making fun of this other guy who made a continuation of his first book, which is is brilliant. But what you start to see, right, is it takes getting into book two, where you start to realize that Don Quixote might be wrong, I'm crazy, but that everybody else is more wrong. And and the sort of awakening, I think, in a young person's mind that there's a way to be more profitably in error than others and that there's this sort of way in which, um, you know, that, 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 that there's a way in which the past could have been off, but off in a more honest way. Don Quixote is a book that does this through comedy. The other book that I think does this really well is actually Beowulf, but does it through tragedy. Yeah, You know, where like what you get with Beowulf, right? is, man, wasn't it better when we used to fight dragons, but now we're going to get killed by just this other random political group, essentially? You know, like, wasn't it better when our heroes fell right beside the dragon? The the kids, when I did Beowulf, they they, they all felt bad because they're like, why do we feel bad for the dragon? And you go, well, yeah, you don't think the dragon's right, but you think the dragon is a, a more noble enemy than what everybody else will have to face. And in Don Quixote, through humor he starts to, you know, Cervantes is so brilliant at this, is he trashes all of those old romantic stories. But sometime in the second book, you realize that he also loves them because you can't write about them the way he does except that you love them. And I think especially for young people becoming adults, where like a lot of what their world is, is how do I put away childish things but realize that there's something wonderful and glorious about childish things. So I don't have to hate and disdain them, even if I'm, you know, that I have a different relationship with them. I can't guess their psychology, but I think something like that begins to awaken in them, and they find it brilliant. And that's why Don Quixote, especially if you slog all the way through it, really starts to change them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I, I, I just remembered, you know, among the other things, and I, I hate to um, sort of be the Don Quixote absent-minded person here. One of the other things that we talked about before we, we were going to get together was the idea that, um, you know, you've also had some poetry that you've been reading um, that we yes. wanted to discuss. Um, I believe it was Richard Wilbur.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I hate
0: to... Um, look, I'm horrible at transitions, so we're just going to name it as a bad transition. But, no problem. <laughs> but I would love to take an opportunity, um, just as we're entering into... You know, right now we're recording on, on the evening of Holy Thursday. Um, you know, could you not read one poem for me? <laughs> oh, that's, right. that's a really horrible joke right there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I approve. <laughs> um, I got one that I actually think Richard Wilbur ends and I think is perfect uh, for the start of the Triduum. So this is from his Walking to Sleep. But I'll be honest with Richard Wilbur; most of his poems appear in like five other versions of his book. This is one of my absolute favorites of his. It's called The Proof. So, shall I love God for causing me to be? I was mere utterance. Shall these words love me? Yet when I caused his work to jar and stammer, and one free subject loosened all his grammar, I love him that he did not in a rage once and forever rule me off the page. But thinking I might come to please him yet, crossed out delete and wrote his patient step. Hmm. Now, step, uh, I mean, I, uh, I had to go look up that word because it's a, a, an old proof texting word, which after, you know, we don't have this is before you have, of course, you know, the like computers and things like this. But when you had an editor who would write something, cross it out, thinking it was bad, but then upon reading further and realizing that it can be saved either in its own form or in a better one, would write step. And uh, the idea that God does that with us and that everything that the events of Holy Week show is instead of saying delete, that God writes his patient step. Um, powerful right. to yeah. think about.
0: Well, isn't that just the, um, the uses of subjunctive of sto Starry, right? Uh, let it stand.
1: Yeah, there you go. See it's like that it's, uh, my Sorry, white trash. Like, like the, white no. trash Oklahoma and we never learned that, but that's exactly <laughs> there. Yeah, I yep, you're right. It's, it's the it's Latin for, Latin
0: professor in me. Uh It's wonderful. <laughs> no, that's, that's a wonderful wonderful poem. Um Yeah, it's a powerful image. We just finished up um some evening prayer and the readings from the mass with the children and and yeah, it speaks powerfully to me right now. Um but I really don't want to go into it because it's poetry and it's just the best expression of it is the poem itself in in many ways.
1: Yeah. I, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot too, right? You know, it's always, it's so there's the trick uh, of all poetry, which is to say, um, you know, if you have to explain the poem, it's a bad poem because it sort of misses the point. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've, I I've not, I wouldn't say that this goes against that. But what I would say is, or at the very least, what a poem should do is make you want to talk about more things than itself. Uh, so that if it, of course, we love poetry because it, like, it it evokes and it brings and it draws out from us all sorts of things. This should be more than just like what my interpretation of the poem is, is blank. And why I'm thinking of this is because we just got done praying um, uh, Tenebrae with the kids because I'm a cruel overlord. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, way to
0: go, Trad Dad.
1: Uh, that's right. And uh, we did it in English, though, so I lose all my Trad credit. <laughs> um, but, so, you know, Lamentations 1, everybody should go read the first four verses of Lamentations 1 and look out your window right now in all of this quarantine, and it will look like Jeremiah wrote that in 2020 and not all those years ago. It's crazy. So I'm mm. just that's a morsel I throw out to everyone listening.
0: It also puts me in mind another text, uh, a great Triduum text, is um, Brideshead Revisited. No oh, yeah yeah right the vanitas vanitatum but there's that sign of hope at the end of the novel. Um, sorry to, to digress on on wall.
1: <laughs> no, I think that that's right. This like sort of very like punch you in the gut British hope. It can't be too flowery when it's British hope. It has to be. Well, I mean, but, is, but you're right.
0: That's what uh, *Brideshead Revisited* grew out of, though. It wasn't you know people think it was this rather decadent novel, but it grew out of you know wartime rationing, right? And the sort of like. You know, much more strict than the restrictions that we're placed under. Exactly and the the pining for a different time. You know, the pining to to go about as you please, to to travel the countryside as it as the novel opens uh, was no longer prohibit. It was no longer allowed for people. It was prohibited.
1: Um, so yeah, I mean, and I mean, just, no, just that idea. No, you're right. This is great. I'm glad you brought this up because. The whole sort of remorse he has is, I was so free and I used it so poorly.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's a question for us. And I think, you know, the book that you wanted to talk about today, and we're going to get to it, uh, Joseph Pieper's "Abuse of Language, Abuse of Power, goes to it in, in what we're dealing with right now, is how are we using this time right now? Uh, I look around uh, at sort of the, the sort of things that we're being given as alternatives to, for what to do to it with quarantine time. Or, right. or stay you know we call it quarantine time but it's not even really quarantine time it's 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 stay at home time uh for, for right. a few it's actual quarantine well anyway i, I don't want to talk too much about that but yeah i do want to talk about um sort of the things that you've been picking up in joseph peeper's abuse of language uh, abuse of language abuse of power and how they might be pertinent to us today
1: And one of the things with uh to, to show that this is of the time is, uh, yes, uh, this is one of the books that I actually have uh, in my office downtown, so I haven't been there for a while, but I did call um, a quote that I think gets at basically stems out to anything in seed form, what I'd want to talk about. It's on page 16, where he goes, corruption of the relationship to reality, and corruption of communication, these evidently are the two possible forms in which the corruption of the word manifests. And I mean, eventually he gets into things like surveillance and tyrannical states. I mean, like he he talks about how quickly abusing what words are for uh, becomes a matter of of what he, Joseph Pieper, just lived through with like Nazi Germany and uh, communism and everything like this. Um, But he points out that it starts out in the smallest way of being a fundamental breach of what it means to be a human and what it means to be some like a conscious being in reality because uh you you know another person that does this is like i I think both of these books are very profitably well read together and they're short so harry frankfurt has a book called uh on On bullshit that's just what it's called and uh he makes similar points that like what what do you get to when you're talking about the difference between lying and bsing says frankfurt is that a liar has to know and abide by the truth in order to counterfeit it but the BSer doesn't have to care at all and this is this bigger problem and so peeper sort of writing well before picks up on that and shows the metaphysics of this problem right which is to say to use language as anything other but communion and communication and community with reality with others with god is to so to speak use language against itself, to use it as a shield to block what you're up to. And the minute that you do that and are willing to, is the minute that you're willing to use another human being uh, for something other than what they're meant to be used for. So if we're willing to pervert the meaning and use and purpose of words, why wouldn't we do it with another living soul? That's
0: it's exactly the the thing that's been running on in my head bow for like the past month as we've shut down the sacramental life of the church. Uh, right. I don't mean to look, there are those who on the one side who are making all sorts of claims that we need to reopen every mass and need to pack everyone together and return to the sign of peace handshakes. Right. On the other hand, you know, there's people who are saying that drive by confessions, which by the way, again, I'm plugging it here on the show for the second or the third time. Drive by confessional, great name for a band. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How is it not a band? Yeah, I mean, that there's probably some '90s band we've just not realized. Any anyway, rate, go ahead. Sorry,
0: but between those two extremes of trying to shut down all sacramental life of the church and then trying to restore it in a non-prudential manner, um, there there is the reality of what we are doing as a church, which I find disturbing in some ways, which is you know this. The movement of everything to go online i'm not going to name the archdiocese but there was a certain archdiocese it was not my own who announced with the suspension of public masses that we are now a online church
1: oh. <laughs> and for me it
0: was it was a moment like no uh, it is anti-incarnational to believe that, that yeah <laughs> that to use this language Again, going to Peeper, and I I hadn't thought of Peeper until you brought it up. But it's a book that I've always loved in terms of how could we make the Catholic Church better? Is this book we believe in a God who is the Logos who became incarnate, and anything that is an abusive language is an abuse of the body of Christ.
1: Um, you know, we're uh, about I... to
0: enter into Good Friday for
1: it, yeah, and and and. I got a way to, to talk about this in what we were talking about that I think um, is not. Um, I think it eludes uh, being controversial by any of those ways, but it will sound controversial um, to some, and I, I I'll stick by these guns even if people get mad at me. Is it's important to realize that to watch mass on TV or through the internet is not going to mass. It's just not. Yeah. But here's but here's the deal: praying the office is going to liturgy. And you can actually pray the office by yourself. And in doing so, with yourself, your family, however you're able to do it, actually unite yourself to the body of the church praying. And I bring this up to say, you're right, we, we've, we've flattened so many words, understandings in the church, that something that could be provided, like what a, what a time to tell people about the divine office and how that, like, if you pray this at three o'clock, you are literally joining not only yeah. monks and nuns throughout the world, but the, the 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 church triumphant in heaven. We're just missing that opportunity because it's easier to do the slight counterfeit of of watching voyeuristically online. Now, the thing is, is I don't think it's wrong to to live stream mass. I mean, watch it like have something to contemplate. You know, that's all fine, but we're not an online church. Like, if you're going to do that, there is an incarnational way to do liturgy, and we all can do it, and it's the divine office. And so I'm completely with you on this one. I think this is reflected in the society at large where um, people will act like we have evidence to either open everything up or close everything down, and no one is willing to admit we just don't have a lot of good evidence. And yeah. that's, that's, that's the human condition. And then there's things that we can do in the face of having bad evidence or none. There's, there's principles that you can react on. And this goes well beyond COVID-19, but anything. There's principles you can react on that don't matter what the evidence says. But to act like we have evidence one way or the other when we don't, I, I think that this goes back to Peeper's idea of abusing what we mean by communication itself. Let alone evidence, or terminology, or sacraments, et cetera.
0: You know, you bringing all this up is just—it's uh, stirring up in me this idea of the the fear of sort of return to Gnosticism in some ways with what we're doing. You know, a, a couple of days ago, I I realized it's not everyone's reaction. Not everyone is as sort of online Catholic as you and I are. So I follow so many parish pages and church pages and speaker pages. Right. And it was just getting me sick going through the feed of like all these live stream masses, all these online resources. And it seemed like no one was just actually praying. And then I realized it was just me. That the, aver- <laughs> the, the, right. aver- the average Catholic might like their, their Facebook page for their parish. And then that's kind of it. So I just, right. I just hit everything on snooze. I'm, I apologize to Jason Everett and Augustine Institute and all the other countless people that I put on snooze in 30 days, I'm going to get like all the Catholic media world back at me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just but like for, ghosts appearing over your shoulders. In but a month. <laughs> for my own,
0: for my own spiritual health, I just realized I have to shut it all down that I need to just enter into this absence, this silence, this, um, whatever it is. I mean, recording these shows like we do, that's just something that I wanted to do every week. And I was doing every week. So I'm going to continue doing that. But everything else, I'm just like, shut it down. It's time. God is, God is giving us all this beauty in the world right now. Well, I don't know about Iowa. It's probably pretty cold up there.
1: it's it's yeah it it, it, it's it's ricocheting back and forth we had an 83 degree day a few days ago and it is currently 28 so
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well it's kind of similar here in kansas we're about to get a freeze warning for the next week um nice yeah nice classic kansas yeah Yeah. have everything go into bloom and then the first day that um we were starting to, to close things up at emporia state um some of the some of the bushes were in bloom and uh you know the bees were out And it was just, like, God trying to, like, hammer into us in our technocratic world where, again, um, that abuse of language, abuse of power where it's this, well, actually, maybe it's less Joseph Pieper and more Charles Taylor's, the the imminent frame of the secular world and its virtual reality, which is dominating my mind and my mindscape.
1: Look, I'm with you in, like, the big question about how one reacts to... um, Uh, you know, the, the Taylor-esque change in the world, or if it's McIntyre, you know, we, we can choose all the people who like talk about modernity and have so much that they're rightly pointing out. There, there's always the question about what you you do about it. And, um, certainly I, uh, I, myself and a Benedictine O'Blade, I, for anybody who wants to become a hermit, anybody who wants to go become cloistered, like I, I I actually, like ringing endorsement, I actually think you should, but I think, you know, for, for us that are in the world, um, I think we have to go look at the sort of like trickster element of of the gospel in the Old Testament, strewn about the whole place, right, where you get someone like Daniel sort of like usurping uh, the use of the empire for the ends of God and uh, you know, this is Jesus Christ himself, like, using the cross, which should have killed him as his sort of uh, judgment seat on death itself, right? How do we overturn uh, the money changers tables that are put in front of us? And so, you know, look, we've, we've offered parish, mi- we, we just got done doing a parish mission here in Des Moines at Christ the King Parish using Zoom. And uh, my, my my goal uh, is to use it as wrong as possible, right, is to subvert its sort of imminent frame um, but, but, you know, you can only do that so much, but, uh, one of the, that's why you got to try to be as concrete as possible. So I, I was talking about Holy Saturday and I was, um, I was using John Henry Newman, some of his meditations, uh, re- talking about like the unseen God and the unchangeable God to point out, right. That, you know, God hidden from us, God, not before us, God seemingly hard to find, um, This is woven in into Holy Week, right? Holy Saturday, where God rests in the tomb, unseen by his disciples. And so in the great mystery of all things, right, where in all of this, we might be said, like, why can't we hear God? Why can't we see God? I think we're getting at this in a certain way, right? Maybe the silence of God dead in the tomb on Holy Saturday is precisely the palate cleanser necessary to truly taste the glory of the resurrection. And if we can't do that with what's going on now, um, you're right, it's just going to be drifting off into the Gnosticism of a virtual world.
0: So what you're saying is is that we should have actually discussed Cardinal Seurat's The Power of Silence.
1: Well, I mean, you know, but then we'd be talking about it, and that's like this whole paradox. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) it's a bad joke too. No,
0: but before we go here, um, you know, I know you're at the Newman Idea and you guys are doing a lot of new things. Can you give people some direction as to where they can find out information about the Newman Idea and what you're doing?
1: Absolutely. So uh, the Newmanidea.org, so Newmanidea.org, not the V, sorry, Newmanidea.org. And uh, what we're doing um, in a multitude of fashion like everyone else is trying to figure out if there's ways that we can fit into the current new world order (laughs) online. But primarily what we've always been about is the, the idea of integrated knowing that John Henry Newman pointed out so much that um, if we're just going to end in endless specialization, that knowledge just becomes a, a cacophony of rebellious states, right? There has to be a way in which knowledge is integrated and in our faith, our, our religious truth of our faith does that for us. And so we communicate the gift of integrity. Uh, that's what uh, our, our mission is. And we primarily do that Um, through having um, classes which are college-accredited classes and offering them in this sort of integrated field at non-Catholic colleges. Over 90% of college students who are Catholic do not go to Catholic colleges. And so we very much are trying to reach those students who are at state schools, who are at secular schools. We're doing this online uh, because everybody sort of has to, by necessity, do that. But we're trying to carry with us the spirit of, uh, our seminars onto the online sphere. And then in additionally, um, part of the Newman idea is, a, a, an outreach called Oblate. That's sort of the one that I uh, head up, which is, uh, what I like to call destroying leadership studies with Jesus. <laughs> so, so we do this uh, through consultation with, um, parish uh, boards, charitable boards, priest deaneries, things like this. And then we've also sort of uh, done, like I said earlier, parish missions as, uh, as well. And uh, we can do those virtually as well. So newmanidea.org, or if you want to reach me, bbonner at newmanidea.org.
0: All right, Bo, it's been really great talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks so
1: much, Patrick. God bless. Have a holy uh, holy week.
0: Thanks again for tuning into The well Catholic. I've been your host, Patrick Callahan. Until next week's episode, you can find us where it all began on the Well-Read Catholic Instagram, sharing the books that inspire us. And don't forget to pick it up and read.